Welcome back to the Armor Men's Health Hour with Dr. Mystery and Donna Lee. Welcome back to the Armor Men's Health Hour. I'm Dr. Mystery, your host, here with my well-coiffed co-host. Oh, that's me. That's right. <laughs> I haven't been well-coiffed in a while. I had to get a new haircut so you would notice me <laughs> sitting here in the corner <laughs> in the studio. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> Waving at you. Look at me. Look oh at me. Oh, my Lord. You know, I recently <laughs> looked back at a critical email that we got from a, a listener Mm-hmm. And I realized he actually loves me. It was you. It was me? Yeah, it was your part. Yeah. He didn't like that I said. No. He no. Just, no. Uh, he didn't like that I said words. Yes, that's right. Because now we're he on Saturday. Said, he said I got my jollies on saying certain words, but I'm saying body parts. That's right. So, and maybe he doesn't know that you were voted the seventh, seventh funniest, funniest mom, mom in America, America by Nick and Knight. <laughs> we can say that together And now. I that's cannot awesome. wait. I cannot wait until you <laughs> let me put those YouTube videos no. online. No, even my children can't watch it, so there you go. Well, we really appreciate everybody's uh, support and input uh, to our show. It, it mm-hmm. is an absolute pleasure to be able to share you know, our urologic and men's health knowledge and we get uh, with fun the community, questions and we love the week. questions every week. And I love and that we're getting the follow-ups. Thank you so much. I got in to be seen. Dr. Yes. Mystery was awesome, or Dr. Ong, or Dr. Yang, and Dr. Jacomides. So. Yeah, we're really lucky to have such a wonderful crew of people to, to see and take care of you. We have space, we have time, and we have a commitment to making sure that your urologic and men's health needs are, are taken care of. And you so know what quickly. urologists love is to grow. Oh, hey, that was awesome. Yes. Uh, and today, we're very lucky. That's I'm right. joined by a great friend of the practice and mm-hmm. an awesome surgeon. You know I love surgeons. I know you do. Yes. You love it when they save, their, you save your ass, too. That's right. <laughs> uh, Dr. Eric Lowe with Capital Surgeons Group. Uh, thanks a lot for joining us, Eric. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. Hey, where did you go to medical school? West Virginia University. West by God, Virginia. And where did you do your residency? Uh, same, West Virginia University in Charleston, West Virginia. What words are you going to share here? Nothing. If, if, if it was another Texas school, I would, oh. give him, I, 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 would, I would talk to him. But my wife recently told me that when I make fun of other people's medical school, it is unprofessional. It's not nice, but it's so funny. The problem for me came when West Virginia joined the Big 12. And then yes. I, I went to UT for undergraduate. Yes. Oh. So now there's like a rivalry. What do I do? Do I? Oh. I mean, of course, I'll still go with UT. But it was a little tough because we still had a Big 12 uh, head-to-head competition. Yes, mm. yes. Well, the good news is neither of you guys are in, in any danger of winning a lot of games, so <laughs> you don't really have to worry about it. The danger is gone. <laughs> the, danger, the danger is gone. Uh, Eric, uh, I think a lot of people may not know um, the, uh, the total breadth of what a general surgery uh, gets, to, gets to do. You guys train in a way that allow you to treat problems from the top of the head to the bottom of the foot, but most people would probably know you guys as dealing with problems in the abdomen, right? Correct. Heartburn is a fa- has been a fascinating disease just in our lifetime, how it's changed, right? True. When we were youngins, it was because we had stress in our life. Just how that has changed, the opinion of heartburn, how dangerous it can be, all that stuff has just been like a remarkable change. We learned about surgeries in my residency that were basically now considered historical operations that we would, you know, people would get ulcers from excess acid and you'd have to do an operation to stop their ulcer. Like, from bleeding. Or perforating yeah. and then their their stomach contents leaks out into their belly and they're sick as a dog after that. I and mean, that was just so, 10 years ago. Yeah. And um, we're just in a different er- we, uh, era. You know, now that people have acid blocking medicines, uh, the ulcers are very easy to treat. There's billions of dollars pharmaceutical costs that just go to purely antacids and anti-reflux medicines and histamine blockers. You know, if, if you have had heartburn for a long time, you may be stuck in an old way of thinking about heartburn. You may still think that ulcers are brought on by 
stress. stress. Right. Or you may think that acid excess is what causes the ulcer as opposed to a bacteria, you know, right. that or we can you, treat. If you just stop eating spicy food or chocolate or, you know, okay. no more jalapenos, you'll, you know, your acid reflux will go away. And I, I, I just think, um, I also think that the fact that a lot of these medicines were available over the counter now made people bypass doctors when it, when it comes to that condition. And so they don't get like the information. And so one of the things I love about doing this show for many listeners out there, this is the most time they're going to get with a doctor to discuss an issue that they may not have sought out for. Yeah, maybe. So give me your spiel. Yeah, I'm coming to you. Tell me, I'm having heartburn. Tell me what I would be feeling or doing to let you know that it's pretty bad heartburn. So I always start with asking people, uh, how long have you taken any medicine for acid reflux, whether it's an antacid like Tums or whether it's uh, Zantac or Pepsid or you're getting over-the-counter Prilosec and if you are seeing a doctor that's actually prescribing that for you because you need a, a next stronger level. So first things first, if you're taking a medicine and it's working to control your heartburn, and it's a low dose, you're probably actually doing pretty good. The problem comes when you start to double your dose or take it twice a day or take one kind of medicine in the morning and a different kind of medicine at night. Then, Uh you know, you go on vacation and you forget to bring it (laughs) and it's the most miserable day of your Mm -hmm. life. You know, you're just trying to find the pharmacy. So that person has now sort of graduated beyond your typical medical management case of heartburn. That's where surgery comes in. And and that's why, you know, someone like me, a general surgeon can do surgery to stop your acid reflux. The goal of surgery to stop acid reflux is to number one, stop it. Like we just said, keep the acid from going up into your esophagus, but two is to stop having to take medications. So we call that freedom from PPI, proton pump inhibitors, or freedom from acid blockers. A lot of people, I'm going to relate this to the prostate problems in men. A lot of people think that this is simply a lifestyle issue. I'm taking the pill so I don't have pain, or I'm taking the pill so I can pee better. And they're forgetting that there really is an underlying medical concern when you have these conditions. So right. maybe you could like scare some people out there and tell them, <laughs> what are we scared of yeah. when somebody has reflux? We're scared of damaging our esophagus. The esophagus is... Uh, just the, the muscular tube in our beyond our throats that just gets food from once we swallow it, passing it down into our stomach. Uh, your stomach is actually what makes the acid, and the acid is there to digest the food that you ate, but that should be leaving your stomach and going into your intestines. When you have acid reflux, the acid is going backwards up into your esophagus where it has no business being located. The esophagus starts to get irritated, eroded, damage to the lining of your esophagus. You can get cancer, difficulty swallowing. It can cause, yeah, it it leads to motility problems with swallowing. It leads to uh, risk factors for esophageal cancer. And it leads to other things like where people lay down in their bed at night and the acid starts traveling upwards into their mouth and they start to choke on the acid or cough, have other problems with breathing. And I'm not going to say general surgeons are scared as much. One thing they're scared above is things that go wrong with the esophagus. It's very hard to fix it. Right. If you can't swallow, you're a miserable person. It's, it's, yes. you want to, you know, we drink to stay hydrated and we eat to stay nourished. And, and if you can't stuck, do that, you're, right. you're oh. just, you know, forcing I feel like water. we're talking to me. Yes, we are. Because we all know that you cannot swallow. <laughs> Let me get you my phone number. And, and you, you don't get your endoscopy and, and you keep acid, taking your medicines. And when I hurl a little bit, it's all acid. <sighs> I do need to take care of that. Well, maybe you could describe some of the most common surgeries that you do for uh, acid reflux. The main things that I do, uh, I say when I'm telling people kind of what, what kind of job I have is I do hernia and reflux and obesity surgery. Sometimes the hernia, that's the problem with reflux, is actually something called a hiatal hernia, which is a hernia in the diaphragm. When you get a hernia in the diaphragm, 
part of your stomach will go backwards up into uh, in the opening in the diaphragm, and that actually makes it much harder to stop acid reflux with just pills. Mm-hmm. One of the first surgeries that we do is a robotic surgery, which is uh, a way to do laparoscopy uh, very delicately and uh, with good vision and, and good uh, instruments which is to repair the hiatal hernia, bring the stomach back into the abdomen where it belongs. From the chest. From the chest, and then close that too big of a hole in the diaphragm. With a piece of mesh sometimes? Uh, with, with suturing, number one, and sometimes with mesh. Gotcha. And that's sort of part one of the procedure if you have a hiatal hernia. The next thing you got to do is reestablish a higher pressure zone at the junction between your esophagus and your stomach because that's sort of like the sphincter muscle that prevents the acid from going backwards. If it's low pressure, it can't hold the acid back in your stomach. If it's losing its pressure, we got to increase it. So and that's we, when you're going to wrap the stomach around. We, we do a wrap of the stomach around that high pressure zone, or we put a lynx implant, which is a uh, magnetic device that helps to keep that area higher pressure that can open and close whenever you swallow food. Wow. That is one of the coolest things that I've, it's brilliant. I've ever I wish seen. I thought of it. It's, it's I really this wish idea it was my that, idea. <laughs> that, that, that the food that's pushed through this, this magnetic ring is enough to break the, the magnet. You know, yeah, the there's a magnetic bond that's there between the beads on this ring that at rest, nobody's doing anything they're bonded. And so it's keeping that high pressure there, keeping the acid out of the esophagus. It doesn't take very much pressure to push those magnets apart from each other. Just enough to swallow food is enough to push it out. And then as soon as the food drops in the stomach, they close right back. Some reflux surgeries out there, a wrap can make it harder for people to belch or to vomit. So they get gas trapped in their stomach. But the pressure of a belch or the pressure of vomiting is actually strong enough also to separate those beads. So that's the one benefit of that procedure compared to a a wrap. Dr. Lowe, I think the message here is that, you know, yeah, Donna probably needs surgery. (laughs) And and that reflux may not be a benign condition. If you have always avoided seeing a doctor or have recently avoided seeing a doctor, you may be missing out on kind of the newest thoughts on reflux. So thank you so much for joining us today. How do people get a hold of you? What is the number office? We have a couple offices in Austin. The office that I'm at in North Austin is uh, 512-498-4860. And we have a website, capitalsurgeons.com. And Donna, you're going to tell people how to get a hold of us. 512-238-0762. No, our website too. Come on. Armormenshealth at gmail.com is our email and armormenshealth.com. I'm so sorry, KLBJ. We'll be right back. <laughs> Welcome back to the Armor Men's Health Hour with Dr. Mystery and Donna Lee. Hello and welcome back to the Armor Men's Health Hour. I'm Dr. Mystery, your ever gracious and grateful host. Mm -hmm. Here with my... (laughs) You're complimenting yourself. (laughs) I was trying. And my uh, awesome co-host and practice manager here at NAU Urology Specialist, Mm -hmm. Donna Lee. That's right. Welcome, everybody. Happy Saturday. It's a great day in the studio at KLBJ. Really uh, honored to be able to provide this show and this information to you. We have a a, a great variety of men's health topics that we talk about, most of which are related to urologic conditions. We love to have guests. Mm -hmm. I love to have surgeon guests. And I love to talk about topics that are oftentimes on people's minds, but they don't either have the... Uh, knowledge of how to get information on it. And today is a great opportunity to do that. Right. And all these KLBJ guys that are sitting around in their cars and in their houses being unhealthy, 
they needed to tune in. That's right. And figure out how to be healthy. They need to learn. Or catch us on the podcast. Right. The Armor Men's, Men's Health, Health Hour. Hour podcast. Wherever you listen to podcasts, Wherever you get they your are podcasts. free. So uh, our guest today is Dr. Eric Lowe with the Capital Surgeons Group. Mm-hmm. Hello, Dr. Lowe. Hello. Thanks a lot for joining us. Recently, you were named the bariatric head at North Austin Medical Center. Is that right? Yeah, I'm the bariatric medical director. And um, well, What was the hero analogy again? No, we're not talking about he, he's not funny. He's a hero, and it he's stands for... Tell us what a hero is when you're a general surgeon. Oh, hero is hernia, reflux, and obesity surgeon. That's right. H-R-O. Dr. Lowe is my hero. What's your acronym? <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Lowe really is my hero whenever I get in trouble in the operating room. You have a which, MAPA. Which, that's right. That's, that's right. your acronym. But people don't like Make America Pee Again that much. We got Yeah, we did get a complaint we on that particular this man the same who person, didn't like fact, me. Same person, he didn't like me, and he thought that was disgusting, that we were trying to help America pee again. In urology, weight and being overweight plays a big role in so much of what we do. It makes people not great candidates for surgery. Diet, poor diet puts them at increased risk for prostate cancer. It lowers their testosterone. It, it, I mean, it has a, a number of impacts. Just during our lifetime in medicine, the idea of doing surgery to help people lose weight has you know, really exploded. I thought for those of uh, our listeners that don't know, bariatrics is what? Is weight loss surgery. It's something that you specifically trained in. Correct. Is often done laparoscopically. And I thought it would be a good opportunity to talk about what is the process that people go through psychologically as they're approaching whether or not to try to lose weight surgically. Yeah, it's actually sort of a, a longer process than most people would think. The, the surgical society that I'm involved in did a, a study nationally, uh, looked at how long it actually takes a person from the moment they even have the conception of the idea, maybe I want to do weight loss surgery, until they actually walk into a surgeon's office to do a consultation for weight loss surgery. Mm-hmm. And it's somewhere between 12 to 18 months. So that's a lot of consideration. Uh, it's different than something like, you know, people get pain in their belly and they find out they have gallstones. They get their gallbladder out two days later. You know, they're ready to go. Whereas this takes a longer process, people thinking about things. People, Do you think that many people wait until they have a medical condition? They know they're overweight. Right. They, did, they didn't figure that one out 12 months ago. That's correct. They know they're overweight. Is it a number of failed diets? Is it that now they can't walk? Is it now that they're not allowed to have a surgery? I mean, what, what do you think is the, is the common or a more common impetus for people to choose sur- surgery as a, uh, for weight loss? One of the very common ones you, you mentioned exactly is that they've developed a health problem that they otherwise didn't recognize before, and it's directly because of their obesity. So that it's going to be something like type 2 diabetes or high blood pressure or sleep apnea, or high cholesterol. Now that they have an illness, whereas they didn't consider their obesity as an illness, but now they have an illness, the reason they have it is because they're obese. Joint pain is very common, difficulty breathing, and then what starts to happen is a uh, lack of participation in activities. They used to run around with their kids, and now they don't really do that much anymore. Or they used to ride amusement park rides, or they used to travel on an airplane, And the stress of having to try to sit down in an airline seat or ask for the extender on a seatbelt, that's what does it. Um, Mm -hmm. Some people, um, you know, it's just they don't like the way they they look at themselves in the mirror. Um, They know that they used to have uh, a different appearance and the appearance is bothersome. Um, And then, you know, people go through a lot of diets and they lose weight and then they might gain that weight back. And so they look at weight loss surgery as it's just going to be yet another failed 
attempt at weight loss. Um, what people come to learn, uh, and, and which is the beautiful thing about weight loss surgery, is that it is such a different uh, result compared to a standard non-surgical weight loss. You know, uh, in, in my practice, I bring up the idea of weight loss surgery very often to patients, and it's surprising to them. And what's surprising to me is that another doctor didn't bring it up already. I'm like, your doctor didn't tell you that being 200 pounds overweight is probably the cause of your diabetes and high blood pressure and didn't send you to a bariatric surgeon. Yeah. Like, and and I talk about it very openly and honestly because um, I feel like people view weight loss surgery as a giving up as opposed to a... Like an easy way out. A giving up. Right. Or instead of starting... And then I think a lot of people, you know, this is called a a confirmation bias, is that when you only remember the stories that confirm your previously held belief, I think that when, if uh, and for me, it was the gastric band, because so many people got gastric bands, and then they they lost weight and they gained weight. So people picked the gastric band because it was, quote unquote, easy and quick. Right, easier to do. And then uh, they thought they weren't doing that much, and then it failed. So now they've kind of poo-pooed the whole idea of weight loss surgery. So yeah. um, maybe you could talk about this concept of treating weight loss surgery like a personal failure. Yeah. Well, it's not a personal failure, for one. But I, I do think that people have been told to lose weight at least. So if they see a doctor and they have diabetes, I'm, I'm sure that their family doctor, their primary care physician has said, you need to lose weight. I don't know if people have ever been directly told uh, your degree of obesity is going to be very difficult to lose with just diet and exercise alone you would do better with weight loss surgery. Um, there's a, there's a, you can go online on your phone or somewhere and just look up any old BMI calculator, body mass index calculator, and you just plug in your height and your weight, and it'll tell you what your BMI is. Uh, if your BMI is 40 or higher, um, you are considered morbidly obese or severely obese. Um, a person whose BMI is 40 or higher has an average shorter lifespan by seven years than a person whose BMI is normal. If you go up to a BMI of 55, your average lifespan is 14 years shorter. Wow. So it is, it is definitely a chronic and I would say in, in general a long-term life-threatening process. People that have heard of a few myths about weight loss surgery before uh, may be trying to avoid it. The, the, probably the most common myth is that there's too many complications because of weight loss surgery. Uh, they've heard a story or they know someone who had a complication and everybody in their mind who gets bariatric surgery gets a complication. Uh, the complication rate is by far less than 5% overall. Hmm. The mortality rate is one in 500, uh, which is 0.2%. And that is actually less, believe it or not, if you look at the mortality rate for cholecystectomy, which is getting your gallbladder removed, for hip replacement surgery or for a hysterectomy, which are very common, which surgeries are very common that surgeries, people are not afraid of. Um, and so, with the advent of laparoscopy and robotic bariatric surgery, which I perform on a daily basis, very commonly now, uh, a person can get a sleeve gastrectomy or a gastric bypass. The surgeries take anywhere from an hour to just under two hours. You can go home the same day as surgery for most sleeve gastrectomies, and it's just a one-night stay in the hospital, uh, again, with the, the low complication rates that I mentioned before. So 
2020 weight loss surgery is not 1995 weight loss surgery. It's a whole different type of surgery. That's very amazing. safe. That's amazing. And uh, I think that, um, you know, uh, as someone who tries to encourage preventative behavior in patients, I would love for people to use that BMI consideration as well as their prior history of how successful have they been with diet and then look at their physical activity. Could you get into a physical activity regimen to lose weight? And if you have severe doubts, you know, consider something a little bit more radical before you get diabetes and high blood pressure. Because although a lot of those will get eradicated with surgery, right? Absolutely. Um, you know, you'd rather not have already gone through that point. You don't want to get that far, for sure. Because even if your diabetes goes away, your insulin metabolism has been altered, you know, you know for your life. Your metabolism changes. You're, you get a higher set point where your body feels natural at a certain weight. Um, you know, a year after a sleeve surgery, people can lose somewhere between 80 to 100 pounds in a year. Wow. Uh, after a gastric bypass, it can be as high as 150 pounds. So uh, I challenge people to think of any diet that they've ever done where they lost 100 pounds in one year. Hmm. That's amazing information. That's a lot. Well, if people have questions for us, how are people going to get hold of us? They're going to call us during the week at 512-238-0762. They can send us emails to Dr. Mystery or Dr. Lowe at armormenshealth at gmail.com. Our website is armormenshealth.com. And we will be right back. We'll be right back. The Armor Men's Health Hour will be right back. If you have questions for Dr. Mystery, email him at armormenshealth at gmail.com. <laughs> 